<laughs> we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam. Canto 7, amazing. I, I still am amazed when I say that. And we are on text 48, is that right? Yes, Prabhu. Yeah. Okay, let me get my notes here. <clears throat> Krishna, Krishna. Okay. Text 48. It is fruit. Now, who's speaking? Yes. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? It is fruitless to see and talk of the material modes of nature and their resultant so-called happiness and distress as if they were factual. When the mind wanders during the day and a man begins to think himself extremely important, or when he dreams at night and sees a beautiful woman enjoying with him. These are merely false dreams. Similarly, the happiness and distress caused by the material senses should be understood to be meaningless. So I, I thought this was interesting. Um, during the day, we think, uh, we think ourselves extremely important. And I mean, I've had that experience so many times in my life of having a really good morning program, chanting Hare Krishna, reading the Srimad Bhagavatam, hearing a class, and all that really starting to see the world through the eyes of Shastra. And then I go about my day, you know, and especially maybe at work, and I, I start forgetting all of that. And, you know, naturally in one sense, because I'm dealing with the, you know, the realities of, uh, of the workplace or, you know, in my role, I'm, I, I'm giving people advice. I'm directing them to, you know, solve their conflicts. And, and it's harder, uh, to, um, always remember, uh, Krishna's humble servant as I'm going about the, uh, the, the challenges of the day. So that is, that is something that, you know, we all have to work on. Um, cause, uh, you know, if I'm looking at the screen here, I know many of us have very, you know, um, um, responsible occupations in our lives and to do that well because we do we are meant to do things well and at the same time remember Krishna that is that is you know that is a challenge Prabhupada even said that a devotee may be like a lion on the chase and a lamb at home so when they're hearing about Krishna and they're back at home or at the temple we're like a lamb but sometimes we have to do our work um, in a, in a, you know, in a, um, very active way or sometimes even in a strong way. You know, we may have to, some of us may have jobs where we have to say, no, you cannot do that. <laughs> you have to do it like this, right? Um, and, and so how to remember that we're not so important, even if we are doing some important work in, in, in this material world. And that, that's, uh, that's that's a that's a challenge that we that we may face because um because we do have to we you know so i can't if somebody comes to me saying oh i have this problem and i say oh i'm sorry i'm just lower than the blade of grass i can't give you any advice <laughs> you know i can't do that <laughs> i have to say you should do this you should do this you should do this you know uh right a doctor can't say well i i may have an idea of what's wrong with you, but I, you know, I could be wrong because I'm supposed to be very humble. And, you know, if you want to take this medicine, maybe you should do it. No, he's got to say, you have this disease, take this medicine or else you might really be in trouble. 
So, so we, so it's, it's an interesting life that we live, but it's no different than Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita. Right? He heard the whole Bhagavad Gita. He heard the whole, you know, um, and at what was his conclusion? He went and did his service. <laughs> yeah. He didn't say the conclusion was, okay, thank you very much, Krishna. I really learned a lot. And now I'm leaving the battlefield. <laughs> right? He, he didn't, he didn't do that. So we can't, we, sh- we can't do that either. But he somehow found a way. Of course, he had, it was easy, easier because he had Krishna directly driving his chariot. But we still have, um, that same opportunity. <clears throat> so let's, let's, uh, look at this purport now a little bit. So Prabhupada gets very, you know, strong here because he's, he's referring to Kiran Kashipu's strong statements. And, you know, this is Gyan. This is knowledge. Difference between the body and the soul. The happiness and distress derived from the activities of the material senses are not actual happiness and distress. That's quite a statement. What do you mean? It's not, I mean, I, I can understand happiness. Of course, if we mean distress as being like separation from Krishna, like the gopis felt, right? But it's, it's, isn't it so interesting that we actually have a different definition of happiness? And that, that's, 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 uh, and that's one reason when we say, when we tell somebody, oh, in this material world, there's no happiness. They look at us like we're, we're you know, what planet did we just descend from? Right, because you know sometimes their sport team wins, or sometimes they um, are you know having a wonderful meal with a loved one, or these and this and that. So we do need to define what we mean by this, and I think we all know by now what we mean by that is the temporary nature of the happiness and distress of this world. And that's that's the. So we, we, it's a little long term. It's not big long term like Lord Brahma's lifetime. That's, <laughs> that's big long term. But even for us, we don't see too often beyond this lifetime. You know, I was saying one time, and who knows, I could, I could, you know, be run over tomorrow by a car, right? But one time an astrologer in India told me I would live till I'm 80. So that would mean, um, you know, 17 and a half more years. And that's not a long time. Right? It's not, you know, it's not such a long time. Um, so I better get serious about life. And then my, and then so eight, so if that, if that was true, that means 18 years from now, my reality is totally different. Completely. Right? All the things that I thought were important about being an American citizen or about, you know, this or that, totally different reference. Let's say, Let's say I'm fortunate enough to get born in a devotee family. So I won't know what's going on, you know, uh, for, um, for seven or eight years. I, you know, I, I'm just, you know, born and then, you know, a little baby and then, you know, five-year-old running off to school someplace. <clears throat> I don't even know what gender I would be, right? Uh, and by then there'll be two or two. Let's say I was even born in America. There'll be two different presidents by then. And, you know, this will have changed and that will have changed. And let's speak. I won't have any reference to this body and the knowledge of this world that I have in this body. So our, one of our big problems is we don't, uh, we don't think, uh, in that, you know, slightly long-term revision. And Prabhupada writes, therefore, Bhagavad Gita speaks of happiness that is transcendental 
to the material conception of life. Um, when our senses are purified of material contamination, they became, they became atindriya, transcendental senses. And when the transcendental senses are engaged in the service of a master of the senses, Rishikesha, one can derive real transcendental pleasure. So that is our definition of pleasure, is using our senses, our mind, our eyes, our ears, our nose, our body in Krishna's service. And that actually brings about real happiness. Different definition. Whatever distress or happiness we manufacture by mental concoction, what strong words, manufacture by mental concoction, through the subtle mind has no reality, but is simply a mental concoction. Because it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Right? That distress that we felt 20 years ago when some, when we, you know, didn't get an A in one of our classes. Where is that distress today? And, you know, nasato vidite bhavo na bhavo vidite sataha. That which is temporary in one sense doesn't exist and that which is eternal always exists. By the way, the one thing we do carry with us, and this is why it's so great that we're having these classes, is we do carry whatever Krishna consciousness we have. So that's the one reality that we carry with us from this to the next lifetime. The one thing we get to carry with us is that. Of course, we do carry the subtle mind, uh, mind intelligence, and ego, but it won't have the same reference points. That was my point that I was making, right? The reference points will be totally different. You know, you may have been born in South India in this life, and you may be born in uh, Rochester, New York in the next life. <laughs> Right or Swargaloka, <laughs> or you know uh, Janaloka or Brahmaloka. Then the, the then your reference points are totally different. <laughs> but whatever consciousness of Krishna that we have is never lost and is carried, even if we don't return back to Godhead in this life. So let's just finish this. So one should therefore not imagine so-called happiness through mental concoction. Imagine Prabhupada's writing this, but he's writing this from such a level of realization. You know, we may just read it, oh, one should therefore not imagine so-called happiness through mental concoction. But when Prabhupada writes that sentence, he, he's actually really trying to get to our heart. Rather, the best course is to engage the mind in the service of the Lord, Rishikesha, and thus feel real blissful life. So underline that word real. And we, we, we must have, all of us on this call must have experienced that sometimes or else we wouldn't be spending our Sunday mornings like this. Right? It's real. It's real. And we should uh, hanker to be in that reality of spiritual bliss more and more. So if it's one hour a day, make it two hours. If it's five hours a day, make it eight hours, whatever it is. We try to... Um, connect with Krishna and feel that relationship with Krishna um, more and more uh, as we progress. And again, Prabhupada gets strong at the end of the purport. The mental concoctions of happiness and distress in the material world are compared to dreams because of their falseness. All thoughts of obtaining happiness by using the material senses have a false background and therefore have no meaning.
So what's interesting is that uh, this universal truth that short-term enjoyment doesn't give lasting enjoyment is understood in the, by you know people who haven't studied the Bhagavad Gita ever. There is something called the marshmallow study. Um, the marshmallow study was done in the 70s. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, they gave, they put young, I don't know how old they were, maybe five or six years old, the children. And they said, well, I can either give you one marshmallow now, or if you wait 15 minutes, you get two marshmallows. And then they, they leave the room and there, there's these videos of these children suffering so much. Oh, you know, they, they're like putting the marshmallow in their eye. They're just trying to avoid, you know, last for 15 minutes, you know, or they start just licking it and they think that doesn't count. Or, and some of them just say, oh, forget it. Uh, I, I can't remember the, the, but it was a pretty good balance of those that I think it was more, more ate the first one and didn't last 15 minutes. And then the study went on for decades and they found that those that could um, put off the enjoyment or in Sanskrit, it's called uh, uh, shreyas, thinking long-term. Shreyas means short-term. Um, they were much more successful in their life. They, they got better grades. They went to the best schools. They had a productive you know, occupation, all these things. The people, the, the ones that could put off the uh you know, the gratification, these instant gratification were much more successful. So even in material life, we're not talking about Krishna consciousness here. So, you know, that's what Krishna says several places in the Bhagavad Gita. And what Prabhupada is saying in this purport that, you know, because you don't, you know, if you, um, if you chant good rounds or you read the Bhagavatam, <clears throat> Or even you perform some austerities on the codice and things like that. There may be, a, we may have a little bit of a lack of taste in the beginning. But, um, and, and if you have that, you know, the marshmallows of the material world, whatever that is, you know, but you know what I mean. Um, then <clears throat> we, um, we find that we may have some instant gratification, but then pleasure seems to go away. And, and so the, the, Things that have long-term benefit for us, like chanting nice rounds and reading the Bhagavatam and only taking prasadam, things like that, they have ripple effects that just keep on going higher and higher. Whereas the instant gratification goes like this and then lower and lower. <laughs> and you, you know, spend all your time, you know, spacing out on uh, YouTube or or the internet, or this or that, and the, you know all those things that give a little bit of a some juice immediately, you know. And if you have to give most people the choice between spacing out on the internet or picking up a Bhagavatam, they space out on the internet. <laughs> but the long-term effects are such are so powerful, and so we really, you know, we can take to heart this purport and. Um, Try to fix our mind on shreyas and avoid prayas. And a lot of that also has to do with really cultivating the mode of goodness. Really, because there's things that, 
you know, look, people look at their, I forget the statistics. Some, some of you may know how many times people look at their phones during the day or, you know, or, you know, get, just get absorbed in, um, in the technology, in the different sources of technology. And all of that is almost like what they call a dopamine hit. It keeps on giving you this kind of instant gratification. Oh, what's the latest news? What's my sports team doing? What's this happening? What did this Bollywood or Hollywood star say? And the mind's just going, and then the mind, it's, it's harder. That's so much passion and ignorance. A lot of passion, especially. But we want to derive our pleasure from goodness, from reading a good book, from sitting down peacefully and chanting Hare Krishna, from peacefully sitting down and taking prasadam, from spending uh, nice times with our very close friends taking walks in the forest uh, and, and things like that. And so we, so if, if, if as devotees, we've started becoming too attracted to these uh, gadgets, we should really take a step back and think about them because we really want to um, derive our pleasure ultimately, of course, from pleasing Krishna. But even when we're not totally spiritual to, you know, drive our pleasure from things that are more in the mode of goodness. Um, and then connect those things in the mode of goodness with Krishna consciousness. So I just said a lot. I, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> and uh, what comments do you have or questions? Uh, yeah, I have one. Go ahead, Andy. So we have to say that probably cell phones are not in the mode of goodness. <laughs> really? You think so? It has to be. Yeah. Because if you know anybody that works with young people or kids... Everywhere in the world, they're on their cell phones all the time. I mean, it attracts them instantly. Yeah. And so, unless that's Krishna, right? Uh, they're not. They can't be in the mode of goodness. And that's I think I think you're right. But naturally, they're not. Now, you can use them if you're really yeah. strict, you know, for just hearing classes and things like that. But you're, as a general rule, I think you're right. And and it's really a challenge to be a parent in this day and age, especially, let's say, a devotee parent, right? Because, you know, you're telling your child, oh, it's so nice to chant Hare Krishna, and they're looking at you like you were from another planet, because if they're getting so much stimuli from instant stuff, the idea of sitting down peacefully and chanting Japa, you know, Kirtan may be a little different, but Japa is like, what? You know, it just doesn't seem attractive at all. I mean, of course, if they have a lot, if they have very good Purva Samskars impressions from previous lives and things like that. Um, but the first thing we have to do as parents is, is walk that talk ourselves <laughs> before we expect them to do that. But I think you're right, Andy. I think you're right that generally they're, they're, they attract the lower modes of nature. Of course, if one is very good and uses it only for Krishna's service or or practical things, you know, there's not, there's nothing wrong with using these things for practical things, you know, but the thing is what happens is then after that, you say, oh, what's in my uh, Facebook, uh, you know, lately and this and that. And then all of a sudden, but I mean, there's nothing really practical about it in terms of what Prabhupada is talking about. So well, things like, you know, pick me up at the matter. airport. I'm at the airport. I'm at uh, gate five right now. Please pick me up. You know, um, or that's only that's only illusionarily practical. It doesn't really matter whether you're at the airport or whether they pick you up. It doesn't. Well, yes and no, because we have our service to do for Krishna. 
And I have my personal person who picks me up at the airport on this call. Uh, yeah. Henry, Henry is very kind to take me to the airport. He hasn't done it in a year because of COVID. But, yeah. but uh, you know, sometimes I'll write it. Someone will write an article about Krishna. And then how is they going to get it to the uh, ISKCON news? They have to email it. So, there, you know, we, we don't. Um, but what you're, you're bringing up an important point, Andy, that we don't reject material things. We, we reject the use of them for personal enjoyment as opposed to Krishna's service. If, if religion is a marshmallow test, most people fail it. Yes. Yes. They eat the, they eat the marshmallow right away. Yeah. Yeah. Or yes. Or they go to God for the marshmallow. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Yeah. 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 Instead of, my dear Lord, how can I serve you? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And thank you, whoever, someone put the, that marshmallow. Oh, thank you. That was, uh, Jay put something about the marshmallow effect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that, Andy. Brought up some good points. Other questions or comments? You know, um, I would. I'm, I was thinking that um, you know this lockdown time um, that I've had for about a year in my house um, has like there's been so much less competition for my time, and it's actually turned out to be a great boon for my Krishna consciousness because I've just filled it all in with Krishna conscious zooms and association and and reading and studying and contemplative time. So um, it's actually helped me to be locked down for a year. That's wonderful, Henry. Um, I wish I could say the same. My life has been busier, <laughs> but that's been my choice, you know, uh, giving, you know, classes all over the place and having to say, okay, you know, where am I today? Japan, China, New York, you know, <laughs> but, uh, that's very nice, Henry. And I like the fact that you said, uh, contem contemplative, that you have more time to be contemplative because we all, that's one of the challenges of modern life is finding time to be contemplative, you know, because we can really keep ourselves busy in all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Any, anyone else like to comment on this? Okay, then we'll carry on. So we are going, we're on 49 and we're going up to 55. Those who have full knowledge of self-realization, who know very well that the spirit soul is eternal, whereas the body is perishable, are not overwhelmed by lamentation. But persons who lack knowledge of self-realization certainly lament. Therefore, it is difficult to ed educate a person in illusion. Then he tells a story. There was once a hunter who lured birds with food and captured them after spreading a net. He lived as if appointed by death personified. Isn't that interesting? As the killer of the birds. While wandering in the forest, the hunter saw a pair of Kalinga birds. Of the two, the female was captivated by the hunter's lure. O queens of <clears throat> Suyagna, the male Kalinga bird, seeing his wife put into the greatest danger in the group of providence, became very unhappy. Because of affection, the poor bird being unable to re release her, began to lament for his wife. Alas, how merciless is providence. My wife, unable to be helped by anyone, is in such an awkward position and lamenting for me. What will providence gain by taking away this poor bird? What will be the profit? If unkind providence takes away my wife, who is half my body, why should he not take me also? What is the use of my living with half of my body, bereaved by loss of my wife? 
What shall I gain in this way? The unfortunate baby birds bereft of their mother are waiting in the nest for her to feed them. They are still very small and have not yet grown their wings. How shall I be able to maintain them? So Prabhupada writes that the bird is lamenting for the mother of his children because the mother naturally maintains and cares for the children. Yamaraj, however, in the guise of a small boy, has already explained that although his mother left him uncared for and wandered and wandering in the forest, the tigers and other ferocious animals have not eaten him. The real fact is that if the Supreme Personality of Godhead protects one, even though one is motherless and fatherless, one can be maintained by the goodwill of the Lord. Otherwise, if the Supreme Lord does not give one protection, one must suffer in spite of the presence of his father and mother. Um, Another example is that sometimes a patient dies in spite of a good physician and good medicine. So it's important to read, um, to read that paragraph in the context of other knowledge that we have, right? Because we see that um, great devotees sometimes leave this world, right? His Holiness Bhakti Charu Maharaj is an example, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, you know, left in an accident. So does that mean Krishna didn't protect them? So generally... That's not, we're not talking about protecting this body, although that seems to be somewhat of the indication in this purport. But elsewhere, we know that what, when Krishna says that I will protect you, he, we know he, he's not going to protect us from death, I mean, of this body, because he also says in the Gita, um, he said, one who's born, Death is certain. And even, you know, the greatest devotees in the world, Rupa Goswami, Prabhupada, they, they leave this world. So the protection is protecting who we really are, this, the soul, the, the, the bhakta, the devotee, and protecting our bhakti. And that's the real um, protection. So according to our karma, um, we may live this long or that long, or, or sometimes Krishna's will, but we don't think that um, protection is mainly when Krishna says, uh, I will protect you. And he says, from all sinful reactions, do not fear. Um, he protects us in that way. So not necessarily. So we shouldn't think, you know, something happens to us and we lose our faith in Krishna because well, I thought he said he would protect his devotees. That's not, um, that's not what the word protection means when Krishna is using it. And then, um, then Prabhupada just talks about, not just talks about, but talks about just the, um, unfortunate nature of, uh, Kali Yuga that people will, um, have abortions. And just, again, imagine from someone like Prabhupada's point of view, it's like, why would any, how could anyone do that? Oh my, you know, um, and we have people make their reasons in this world, especially in, in, um, in this Kali Yuga that, you know, I had, I had a fling with somebody and I, the last thing in the world I want to do is have a child right now. Or I was, and of course, then there comes the tricky one of a woman being raped. Um, uh, and it's just become so much of a culture, uh, America, they say since around the year 2000, the, what do they call it? The hookup culture where especially college students and I guess probably high school students as well. Um, they just hook up. They just have a, a sexual relationship with no, maybe they may never see the person ever again. It may, you know, <clears throat> there's just no connection except for the physical, uh, 
connection. And it's so far away from the, the standard that is set in, in, in what, you know, the culture we're trying to establish of, um, of, well, even just simple, uh, eka pati brata, like Lord Ram took that vow, right? Of, you know, one wife and one husband. And, uh, it's just a totally different mindset. When you're, when, if you're married to one person, you know, it's just, you know, in sickness and health and till death do us part. That's what the vow says. And it would be nice if we could all keep those vows, right? Because it's not, it's, uh, it's dharma to, um, to the husband serves the wife, the wife serves the husband. They, they work together in Krishna consciousness and they're not, you know, thinking of the other person as a machine for their sense gratification, but in how can we, work together to please Krishna. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's a very unfortunate thing that um, for a cultured person, the idea of killing an innocent child in the womb just doesn't, you know, commute, uh, compute. So there's two different points in this purport. Uh, some thoughts on either of them? Hi, Krishna. Someone speaking? So yeah, that's me. Yeah, yes, Guru does. Um, when I started, when I first started learning about Krishna consciousness, I would look at the material world and see how leaders lined up to the leaders described in the Bhagavatam. And sometimes I would think, well, this party has it right, except for you know, like the Democrats or whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to get political with this. But they have it right, but except for abortion, they have it so completely wrong. I mean, you can't be, and again, I apologize to anyone on the call. I'm not trying to be political, but you can't be a Democrat without being for abortion 100%. Um, And anyone who is not that, I mean, all they have to, it's like, they none of none of anything else they stand for um giving you know being munificent to the poor and and building up the roads all the things the good things they're trying to do but uh that one terrible miscalculation just sinks them just it's 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 a tricky thing because yeah uh, that's why we see that we're not generally belong to this party or that party because um, also, Democrats generally, as a general rule, are more open to Krishna consciousness. Yeah. Um, and that's, in one sense, that's, you know, just as a general rule. But any, everyone is, is a spirit soul and therefore ultimately open to Krishna consciousness. So it just goes, just goes to show what a mess the material world is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, converse, you know, conversely, you know, Party might be, you know, full of full of misinformation and this and that, but they the one thing that they have right about yeah, exactly. So what a world we live in, huh? It's hard to yeah. So thank you for that. Um, it's, it's I've always thought like this that you know, in terms of morals, the devotees tend to align more with. Um, with Republicans, and in terms of um, 
openness to Krishna consciousness, the devotees tend to align more with Democrats. And so we belong to Krishna's party. <laughs> well, Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan party. <laughs> That's uh, usually the best deal. And I know my wife has been very strict about leaving politics out of the temple. Uh, even one devotee one time wanted to give a class that kind of was leaning in a certain direction. She said, no, this is, this, the temple is a neutral place for politics. It's a place for Krishna consciousness. And people can have whatever they want in their private lives, but, you know, come to the temple, we talk about Krishna. Yeah, I think that was a very good, very good policy. <clears throat> okay. Uh, anything else? Um, well, you know, um, in um, in some countries, um, you know, um, people abort children because they're the wrong sex or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah. And, um, so, like in China, for instance, so now there's um, there's a huge shortage of women in China. So because of this, um, this now that this is so there's there's millions of men that'll never be able to find a wife. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, and in India also, I remember when I was living there, lots, if you go to like some of the better hospitals, they will have a sign out there, you know, I think like sonograms to, to, uh, to tell you the sex of your child are prohibited by law and will not be undertaken in this hospital, right? Uh, I've seen things like that. Rupesh, I'm sure, could, con could confirm that. Uh, he's lived in India more recently than me, but that was for that very reason. Um, that sometimes that happens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if one has a daughter, one's very fortunate. If one has a son, one's very fortunate as long as they can take to, uh, you know, lead a good life. And, and as devotees take to Krishna consciousness and they're very, very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. What to do? What a world. <laughs> All right, Krishna. So shall we continue? Um, because of the loss of his wife, the Kalinga bird lamented with tears in his eyes. Meanwhile, following the dictations of mature time, the hunter, who was very carefully hidden in the distance, released his arrow, which pierced the body of the Kalinga bird and killed him. So he killed him also. Thus Yamaraj, in the, in the guise of a small boy, told all the queens, you are all so foolish that you lament, but do not see your own death. Afflicted by a poor fund of knowledge, you do not know that even if you lament for your dead husband for hundreds of years, you will never get him back alive. And in the meantime, your lives will be finished. Hirani Kashipu said, While Yamaraj in the form of a small boy was instructing all the relatives surrounding the dead body of Suyagna, everyone was struck with wonder by his philosophical words. Thus, uh, they could understand that everything material is temporary and can and not continuing to exist. One second, I'm just checking. Okay, going up to 60. Oops. After instructing all the foolish relatives of Suyagna, Yamaraj in the form of a boy disappeared from their vision. Then the relatives of King Suyagna uh, performed the ritualistic funeral ceremonies. Therefore, none of you should be aggrieved for the loss of the body whether your own or those of others. Only in ignorance does one make bodily distinctions, thinking, who am I? Who are the others? What is mine? What are the others? And Prabhupada writes in the purport, 
In the materialistic conception, modern civilization makes enormous arrangements for huge roads, houses, mills, and factories. And this is man's conception of advancement of civilization. People do not know, however, that at any time they themselves may be kicked out of the scene and forced to accept bodies that have nothing to do with enormous houses, palaces, roads, and automobiles. Such strong words, right? But, but to try to awaken us to a, a different reality other than the one, you know, not that we don't deal with the reality we live in, but we understand that our ultimate reality is with Krishna and, you know, um, not the comings and goings of this world. So then Prabhupada continues and says, the body is not the self. We are different from the body, and therefore there is no question of friends, enemies, or responsibilities in terms of the bodily conception of life. One should not be very anxious about the bodies changing from childhood to boyhood, from boyhood to youth to old age, and then to apparent annihilation. Rather, one should be very serious, seriously concerned about the soul within the body and how to release the soul from the material clutches. So we do our duty in this life, in this body. We, we are kind to people. We are, we, we, you know, take care of our families, but we don't, re- don't forget that our ultimate reality is somewhere else. And we live our life in such a way that we are gradually realizing that ultimate reality beyond the present uh, situation that we find ourselves in. Um, some thoughts on this? You're a very talkative group today. <laughs> Hurry, Boom. Yes, Gurdas? So, I've never had the good fortune of being a parent. Hmm. But I went to school like you did, like everybody here has had material education up to the neck. And if that's all we have, that's the only context that we have, then this devotional philosophy seems like phantasmagoria because we're completely ensconced in this bodily conception and and everything connected to it. And then, uh, so one has to be so extremely fortunate to that when when one is exposed to this that that you know somebody gives it the benefit of the doubt. Yes, yes, exactly. Um we are fortunate. Those devotees the, the, on the call today are all fortunate that they were hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam and hearing this uh, the absolute truth, even though some of this is a little bitter medicine today, right? Some of the the preaching about the, the nature of this world. But it's liberating if we see it in the right uh, context. And that's why I'm in trying, and if you notice as I'm talking, um, creating that balance because someone could read these and say, okay, I'm just going to forget about everything. Who cares about my house and my family and taking care of them, going to the Himalayas and meditating. But that's not what, that's not what Krishna told Arjuna to do. He told him to do his duty, but in a totally different consciousness. And that's what Lord Chaitanya also, he quotes, You stay in your position, 
but 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 hear about Krishna, and in that way transform our consciousness. So we're not so much transforming our work, we're transforming our consciousness. Now, of course, at the end, towards the end of our life, when we retire, and then we will be transforming our work as well, right? And and Prabhupada suggests that we don't live our retired life like like he said, uh, what was it? Playing shuffleboard and cards and talking about useless politics. <laughs> but we take advantage, and we've seen right retired people often doing things like that. But we take advantage when when it is time to retire to then really get more absorbed in spiritual life. So. Yes, I'm kind of looking forward to that day. I guess I was, if I was born in India, I would already be retired, right? Is retirement 58 or something like that in India? Yeah, 16 now. Oh, it's 16 now, actually. Okay, still, I'd be retired. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and it reminds me again of that, uh, that song that, uh, my good friend, uh, Kendra Prabhu writes, and I, I've quoted it before that, it's just so well done. He talks about all the horrors of life. And then he says, but then it, it lets up a little. It only lets up a little. You know, the, the misery, the, the challenges of life go away a little bit. And then he says, then I think I like it here. <laughs> and I think we all have that experience. So something happens to us and we become real. Actually, this comes up in the very next purport. Uh, so why don't I just wait for that? I wasn't, I didn't assign you 61, but I'm going to read it because it's a powerful purport. So then the, Chapter ends with Narada Muni saying, Diti, the mother of Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha, heard the instructions of Hiranyakashipu along with her mother-in-law, uh, Rushapanu, Hiranyaksha's wife. She then forgot her grief over her son's death and thus engaged her mind and attention in understanding the real philosophy of life. So Prabhupada writes, When a relative dies, one certainly becomes very much interested in philosophy. But when the funeral ceremony is over, one again becomes attentive to materialism. You ever have seen that happen? Even Daityas, who are materialistic persons, sometimes think of philosophy when some relative meets death. The technical term for this attitude of the materialistic person is smashana vairagya, or detachment in a cemetery or place of cremation. Um. So, you know, we, we, yes, we, we do become philosophical when we go to a funeral or, or just some, there's some, uh, <clears throat> some challenges in our life. But then after some time, things get a little better and we think, oh, it's not so bad. Material world's kind of nice, <laughs> right? So that forgetfulness is, um, sometimes said <clears throat> it's the inherent nature of the conditioned soul, not the liberated soul, but the conditioned soul to, be attracted to forgetfulness. So Prabhupada continues, as confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, four classes of men receive an understanding of spiritual life, arti, arjegyasu, artarti, the distressed, the inquisitive, the one who desires material gains, and the jnani, the one searching for knowledge. Especially when one is very much distressed by material conditions, one becomes interested in God. Therefore, Kunti Devi said, in her prayers to Krishna, that she preferred distress to a happy mode of life. 
In the material world, one who is happy forgets Krishna. You ever seen that either in your own self or in others? But sometimes if one is actually pious, but in distress, he remembers Krishna. Queen Kunti therefore preferred distress because it is an opportunity to remember Krishna. So we don't have to pray for distress. We get enough of it on its own accord. But it's just, um, you see that tendency to, we, you know, when we, when we're, have some challenges in our life, we push down on the gas pedal of Krishna consciousness. And when things get a little better, we sometimes let up on the gas. <laughs> so we want to try to avoid that uh, unsteady bhakti and be more uh, fixed up in bhakti. So questions or comments on um, uh, smasana vairagya and uh, this point about seriousness coming and going. Hello, Krishna. Yes. Go ahead, Prabhu. I can speak after you. Okay, I just wanted to say I thought about from World War II, there's an expression Americans all know there's no atheist in a foxhole. <laughs> yes, that's right. Good point. Thank you. Yes, uh, Ananda Rupa Mataji. So, Prabhu, um, the last line in the last purport for a devotee, distress is an opportunity to remember mm. Supreme Personality Thank of you. Godhead constantly. And yeah. I find it very interesting. We read this philosophy and we think we understand it totally. And, you know, we do this practice. We are in training to, uh, you know, <laughs> connect, to be free, you know, to understand our connection with Krishna and uh all this beautiful knowledge, the transcendental knowledge, yet we know it too well too, how uh, in happy times, how easy it is to not remember Krishna always. And definitely in distressed times, we are praying to Krishna in some way, you know. Mm. Um, so uh, here, Srila Prabhupada, I mean, from what I recollect from different lectures, he emphasizes in whatever way, whether we are attentive or not, we should try to remember Krishna. And in, in fact, he made a beautiful pr prayer, right? Um, oh, Krishna, please help me always remember you, never forget you. Some, yes. I mean, there is a shloka like that, but Prabhupada actually made a beautiful prayer regarding that. So mm -hmm. just uh, was meditating on that. Thank you. Thank you, Master. Uh, anyone else? Hi, Bo. Yes, who does? Yeah. So this first concept, this, uh, what is it, Samasthavaragya? Samas, I always pronounce it wrong, so I have to, Smasana Vairagya. Smasana Vairagya. Yeah. It's actually um, a concept that if you, if you expand it, we're not just talking about people who go to a, a funeral and become philosophical for the moment and then go disappear into their materialistic activities. Anybody who goes to a temple or church once a week or, you know, twice a year or goes even to the extent, I mean, I don't know how valid this is. I'm just putting this out before the devotees. But if you go on a, re like I used, I used to go on Chapa retreats fairly regularly and in the middle of the Japa retreat, I would be very, very taken by the preaching about Japa. And I would be very, come out very intent on changing my Japa. But gradually, without 
the same kind of association. It's just sort of faded away. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Uh, that's why I thought Ekendra's song is so well done, <laughs> uh, because he really he really nails it, <laughs> as we say. He, uh... But it's it's not realistic, in one sense, to expect that we'll always be surrounded by such an intense environment or atmosphere, um, and uh, my, myself, yeah. I'm not. I know I'm not advanced enough or enlightened enough to, to actively seek it out. Yeah. But you're right. Uh, at the end of uh, the Japa retreats that Buri Jampabu and Sachinandan Swami do, they, they talk about, okay, so now what are we, how are you going to keep some of what you gained in this? Because it, they do say, <laughs> Buri Jampabu used to say, the, the, the retreats are in Govardhan. He says, you, you lose at least a third of it by the time you get to uh, Faridabad, which is uh, on the way to Delhi, <laughs> in the car on the way to Delhi. So, yes, it's, it's, uh, it is um, a challenge to keep on the straight and narrow. Yeah, it's a very good point. Very good point. Yeah. Did someone else want to say something? I thought I heard a voice. Maybe I got it wrong. Um, you know, I just, um, I think it's really important to uh, hear Srimad Bhagavatam every day. That's, yeah. you know, because we do forget, we forget so quickly. And if you hear, you have to hear it every single day. I now believe that. Yeah. And Henry does that. He listens to Wisdom of the Sages every morning at 5 a.m. Yes. Was that Raghunan? Raghunan, were you going to say something? Or, or someone else? I heard someone else's voice. Um, the word is. It's a little uh, nitpick at the editorial comment. Yes, man. Yes. Uh, the word is Shamshan. So oh, Shamshan. So I'm not pronouncing it right. No, no. In the purport also, it's the M and A are transposed. It should be S-A-M instead of S-M-A. So it's ah. just a little editorial thing. Thank you. So yeah. tell me how to pronounce it properly. Uh, Shamshan. Shamshan. Okay, thank you. Shamshan by regular. What is it, Raghunan Prabhu? But in Sanskrit, it is Mashana. Smashana oh. means crematorium. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, you, you have to be careful, man. You're talking to a Pakka South Indian wala. Yeah, no. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you for that, man, Mohan. Um, okay, so anything else? So now we are starting a new chapter. Uh, Hiranyakashipu's plans to become immortal. So Narada Muni says to Yudhisthira Maharaj, and I think we're going up to verse 11, right? Uh, 12, 12, okay. <clears throat> the demoniac king, Hiranyakashipu, wanted to be unconquerable and free from old age and dwindling of the body. He wanted to gain all the yogic perfections of anima and lagima, to be deathless and to be the only king of the entire universe, including Brahmaloka. In the valley of Mandara Hill, Hiranyakashipu began performing his austerities by standing with his toes on the ground, keeping his arms upward and looking toward the sky. This position is extremely difficult, but he accepted it as a means to attain perfection. From the hair on Hiranyakashipu's head, 
They are emanated and effulgent life as brilliant and intolerable as the rays of the sun at the time of dissolution. Seeing the performance of such austere penances, the demigods who have been wandering throughout the planets now return to their respective homes. Because of Hiranyakashipu's severe austerities, fire came from his head, and this fire and its smoke spread throughout the sky, encompassing the lower, upper and lower planets, which all became extremely hot. Because of the power of his austere, uh, severe austerities, all the rivers and oceans were agitated. The surface of the globe with its mountains and islands began trembling, and the stars and planets fell. All directions were ablaze, scorched and extremely disturbed because of Hirandikashibu's severe penances. All the demigods left the planets where they reside and went to the planet of Lord Brahma, where they informed the creator as follows. O Lord of the demigods, O master of the universe, because of the fire emanating from Hirandikashipu's head as a result of his severe austerities, we have become so disturbed that we could not stay in our planets but have come to you, O great person, chief of the universe. If you think it proper, kindly stop these disturbances meant to destroy everything before all your obedient subjects are annihilated. Hiranyakashipu has undertaken a most severe type of austerity. Although his plan is not unknown to us, kindly listen as we submit his intentions. The supreme person within the universe, Lord Brahma, has gotten his exalted post by dint of severe austerities, mystic power, and trance. Consequently, all create, uh, all creating, I'm sorry, after creating the universe, he has become the most worshipable demigod within it. Since I am eternal and time is eternal, I shall endeavor by, for such austerity, mystic power, and trance for many, many births, and thus I shall occupy the same post occupied by Lord Brahma. By dint of my severe austerities, I shall reverse the results of pious and impious activities. I shall overturn all the established practices within this world. Even Dhruva Loka will be vanquished by, at the end of the millennium. Therefore, what is the use of it? I shall prefer to remain in the position of Brahma. O Lord, we have heard from reliable sources that in order to obtain your post, Hiranyakashipu is now engaged in severe austerity. You are the master of the three worlds. Please, without delay, take whatever steps you deem appropriate. So the purpose is an interesting one. Um, it gives a little history, but makes a strong philosophical point. Prabhupada writes that in the material world, a servant is provided for by the master, but is always planning how to capture the master's post. There have been many instances of this in history, especially in India during the Mohammedan rule. Many servants, by plans and devices, took over the posts of their masters. It is learned from Chaitanya literature that one big zamindar, Subhuti Rai, kept a Mohammedan boy as a servant. Of course, he treated the boy as his own child. And sometimes when the boy was stopped, would steal something, the master... Um, I lost, uh, would chastise him by striking him with a cane. There was a mark on the boy's back from this chastisement. Later, after that boy had, by crooked means, become Hussein Shah, Nawab of Bengal, one day his wife saw the mark on his back and inquired about it. 
The Nawab replied that in his childhood he had been a servant of Subudi Roy, who had punished him because of some mischievous activities. Upon hearing this, the Nawab's wife immediately became agitated and requested her husband to kill Subudi Roy. Nawab Hussein Shah, of course, was very grateful to Subudi Roy and therefore refused to kill him. But when his wife requested him to turn Subudi Roy into Mohammedan, the Nawab agreed. Taking some water from his water pot, he sprinkled it upon Subudi Roy and declared that now Subudi Roy had become a Mohammedan. The point is, so that's the story, which is, uh, there's even, you know, some interesting lessons in that story that um, if one, you know, I, and I saw this sometimes in India, that, you know, the servants were very nicely taken care of. Not, it's not always the facts, right? I'm sure we read stories in the newspapers about people doing terrible things to, to servants, but um, in some of the higher class families, I saw that, you know, they would, they would even, you know, uh, pay for the weddings and, you know, things like that. And, you know, we, my wife and I, we were not wealthy at all, but we had someone who, um, who cleaned our house and who, um, cooked for us. And we did treat them just like part of the family. And, you know, when, when they had marriages, we tried to help with that. And when someone was sick in the family, we tried to arrange a doctor for them. And, and, you know, just, uh, that, that is, of course, in America, you don't have the idea of servants so much. Um, well, I guess you have maids and butlers, um, but um, it seems to be a slightly different concept. Um, so that is nice. If, if people uh, have some expertise that they can offer to a family like that, and then the family actually takes nice care of them, you know, not exploit, exploitive. And I think I told you the, the other story I told about how the, on a different context, how the uh, Prabhupada writes that the servant enjoys almost on the level as the master. And he was, he was saying, you know, devotees, when they, they enjoy almost on the level of Krishna when they're serving Krishna. And I think I told you the story about, uh, I used to stay a lot with this very wealthy family in Delhi. And the second all the family went to work, all the servants cooked a big feast for themselves and watched television. And so, well, well, the so-called masters were at work, they were enjoying like anything. <laughs> and then when the, and then when the owners come back and eat, they're all like, Hare Krishna. <laughs> no, not to say Hare Krishna, but Namaste, what can I do for you? <laughs> but during the whole day there, uh, that's a different point. So now let's read the end of this purport where it probably talks about the philosophical point in all of this. The point is that this Nawab had been an ordinary menial servant of Subudi Roy, but was somehow or other able to occupy the supreme post of Nawab of Bengal. This is the material world. Everyone is trying to become master through various devices, although everyone is servant of his senses. Following this system, a living entity, although servant of his senses, tries to become master of the whole universe. In this case, Hiranyakashipu was a typical example of this. And Brahma was informed of, by the demigods of his intentions. So yes, we don't, you know, the idea um, of being a servant of God, the word servant is not, is not the most attractive word, word in the world. Um, and especially, like I said, in India, most people, oh, I don't want to be a servant. I want to be, you know, the CEO of, uh, you know, uh, Infosys or whatever. But, um, <clears throat> But servant of the greatest is actually much higher than CEO of Infosys. <laughs> much higher. Can't compare it. 
being actual servant of God, servant of the all wonderful supreme personality of Godhead Krishna. Uh, and not only that, Gopi Patopata Kamali or Dasa Dasa Das Anudas, even being the servant of the servant of the servant of Krishna, is, is an exalted, most exalted position in the world. It's higher than anything. It's much higher than the position President Biden has right now or, or, uh, Prime Minister Modi or anyone. It's the highest position being a servant of the Supreme. Um, but the problem is we all want to, you know, we're, 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 most people in this world are looking to be masters, you know, to be able to enjoy and to be able to control those two things. But even the greatest controllers, you know, what do you do? You know, you see some of those videos of uh, Adolf Hitler just with, you know, tens of thousands of people, you know, at some of his gatherings, right? And, and just he's so powerful and and then you know he dies in a bunker with his wife you know committing it seems likely committing suicide or whatever happened to him but you know <laughs> you can't be a uh, master for very long the time factor gets us all i was thinking when i was in india the most famous cricket player was sachin how do you pronounce his last name tendakar Something like that, yeah. Uh, he's, I'm sure he's not playing anymore. Is that right? No. So, you know, he, you know, he may be still well-known, but, you know, you don't remain even a great sports star for very long or anything. It all has its uh, expiration. We all have our expiration date. <laughs> so any thoughts or questions on this story about uh, Nawab Hussein Shah or anything else? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda the the statements made by the demigods to Brahma uh, like puts the spotlight on their insecurity, they their own insecurity. They feel threatened, and they they are taking the path of speculating on the intentions of Hiranyakashipu, <laughs> and to just uh, to persuade Brahma to take action that is favorable to them. Mm. Yes, so <laughs> I think you're right. I was thinking the same thing. You know, how how do you get like a powerful person, you know, uh, to do something? You say, oh, Raghunanda, you should hear what people are saying about you. you got to do something about this person. <laughs> right? That's, that's they are, they, they, He is coming after your post. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> And the funny thing, you know, many times like a devotee would say, oh, okay, let him have it, no problem. <laughs> but, uh, but Lord Brahma, yes, but I, I did notice that. Um, uh, do, do, does anyone here know anything about the history? About how, uh, is it total speculation or did they have some, did they hear Hiranyakashipu say something at some point in time? Because uh, I was thinking the same thing you were thinking about. Yes, yes, Jiva Prabhu. Hare Krishna. So yes, in the third canto, a similar incident had happened when Aditi was pregnant, uh, not Aditi, Diti was pregnant, you know, at that time when Hiranaksha and Hiranakashiva, they were in a womb, there was darkness in the universe because of that influence, the demoniac influence. Right. That time also, the demigods had got to Lord Brahma 
asking about like what is causing all this and lord brahma revealed at that time the story about jay vijay being cursed by the chatur kumaras the brahmanas mm. in that kantaloka so they knew but nobody thought of asking okay if they are going to cause so much trouble to the demigods you know what would be the solution at that time yes that's right and this is the second time it is happening and i was further reading uh, you know some of the commentaries by the acharyas vishwanath chakravarti thakur he gives a cross reference that this is what happens oh people are serious for oh, these are the devotees so they will not be harmful but lord's plan can be bewildering right sometimes devotees together maybe having multiple missions and could be conflicting so this is your area prabhu conflicted <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> jeeva you have an amazing memory by the way i wish i had your memory it's very impressive uh yes so yeah but it's definitely yeah definitely kind of uh um pushing lord brahma aren't they yes <laughs> i shall occupy the same post by lord brahma <laughs> yeah it's so interesting to see that on one level things thousands and millions of years ago were different culture um and, and different you know so many things different and at the same time on, in this certain way people still act like people you know i i I've, i've had that experience you know i visited i think 50 countries in this world and it's this it's this simultaneous thing that um cultures are very different the japanese culture is very different than the american culture and and not or but and on some level we act in very similar ways <laughs> yeah uh other question other comments on this yeah are they trying to teach us something about austerities here because i never understand about austerities good point But andy here the demigods are saying hey can you stop these austerities <laughs> right so yeah I guess cuz austerities are so powerful but I I don't really understand cuz Brahma created the universe by going through austerities. Yeah. Austerities do make one power. It's kind of connected to the discussion we had at the very beginning of class today where we were saying how long-term and short-term benefits. So austerity in the mode of goodness is poison in the beginning but nectar in the end. Right? Um and austerity in passion is nectar in the beginning and poison in the end and austerity yeah. in the mode of ignorance is just poison you know i mean that makes not, sense yeah, yeah so it's what mode your austerity is in so austerities do can make one powerful if but they so for us we want to be fair we want to we we austerities is fine probably but often quoted the verse tapo divyam putakayena satva um the word tapa means austerity but we have to be so careful to only do austerities for krishna's pleasure because austerities can make you strong they can also make you a little hard hearted because you're just denying denying the world to you know i'm not going to you know use your willpower but we always link our austerities with soft heartedness with krishna's pleasure so yes yeah, so with when we let's say a devotee chooses to fast on akadasi he try he or she tries to use that extra time to hear about krishna and not just because otherwise i know for myself i'm often thinking i'm so hungry i'm so hungry i'm so hungry why am i doing this austerity you know <laughs> and then you're not getting the full full benefit of the austerity um and prabhupada told us that you know the main austerities we concern ourselves with are the regulated principles 
that he gave for initiated devotees and doing things like fasting on Janmashtami or Gorpurnima, uh, Ikadasi, at least from grains and beans. <clears throat> um, but it's not our, it's not our Abhideya, it's not our process to attain our goal. It can be our process uh, to some extent, but it always has to be connected with Krishna's pleasure. Is that all right? Yeah, I'm very satisfied with any answer, yeah. Okay, thank you. Anything else, Prabhu's? Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Oh, Hare Krishna, Nandan Mukti Mataji. What can we do for you? <laughs> Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Um, I'm just thinking um, about uh, this very exemplary, interesting example of Hiranyakashipu. Mm. He his statement to his mother and to the other female relatives are um, philosophical and rational, not only and quite um, good exposition on the philosophy of the soul, as well as the philosophy of the Supreme Lord himself. Mm. He mentioned about how the Supreme Lord is um, like undeniable or you cannot uh, really supersede his will and something like that. And now here on the other hand, when it comes to his own behavior, it's something entirely different. It's like he is speaking in a philosophy, but the faith he chose he chose to believe in and live by is something else and so like in, in the beginning of the second chapter he even said i will se- sever the head of lord vishnu uh and thus satisfy my brother hiranyaksha who is so fond of drinking blah <laughs> yes Yes, so it's interesting. And because on the one hand, he is doing something in a very rational way. But on the other hand, he is like into believing some, believing something and ignore and behave in a very, you can say, irrational than, um, a radical way. So Dandi Muki, what do you think we can learn from that in our own lives? Mm, I think, uh, well, a practical lesson is that, uh, when, when we, when people, when, when we're like, uh, speaking to people that really believe their own, own belief and have a, um, tendency to deny, uh, the Supreme, it's, uh, we may take on a different approach, just, uh, let them, go their, their way and we do whatever we can do instead of trying to uh, like prove it, uh, something. Mm, interesting. Okay. I was also thinking um, that we can be like this, right? We can speak very rationally and then we can act irrationally. Ah, um, true. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, from that perspective, it's like um, a practice of alignment of 
to believe in our behaviors. I like that word alignment. Yeah, that's a very good word. Thank you. Yeah, aligning. And in one sense, that's a, you know, for everyone on this call, that's kind of like our challenge. We know the philosophy. Everyone on the call knows quite a bit. We're learning more every day. But then aligning our actual life with that is probably the uh, the great challenge of our life. So yes, one, yeah. but that demonstrates that you are not, we're not Hiranyakashipu because he never bothered to align. Uh, he didn't even make an effort. Yeah, good point. So we're doing better than Hiranyakashipu. I guess that's something. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Harikashi. Thank you, Nandima. Uh, anything else? So we have one more verse to do in 10 minutes, so we should be okay. Oh, this is 13. Oh, Lord Brahma. Just making sure. Yes, 13 was the last one we assigned. Your position within this universe is certainly most auspicious for everyone, especially the cows and brahmanas. Brahminical culture and the protection of cows can be increasingly glorified. And thus, all kinds of material happiness, opulence, and good fortune will automatically increase. But unfortunately, if Hiranyakashipu occupies your seat, everything will be lost. Get up, do something. Uh, purport. In this verse, the word dvija gavam paramesjam indicate the most exalted position of the brahmanas, brahminical culture, and the cows. In Vedic culture, the welfare of the cows and the welfare of the brahmanas are essential. Without a proper arrangement for developing brahminical culture and protecting cows, all affairs of administration will go to hell. So, again, um, you know, I guess if you're talking to, let's say, a person in the West who knows nothing about Bhagavatam, they might be able to say, yes, if you say, well, we really need to take care of the intellectuals, they guide society, they might be able to handle that. Maybe. Then you say the cows and like, what? <laughs> why not the horses? Why not the, you know, goats? Why not the orangutans? Why the, why the cows? Right? Uh, and of course we understand why the cows. The, the cow gives, uh, gives milk that so many different preparations are there. The bull tends the fields. And, um, and also simply that Krishna loves cows. <laughs> He's a coward boy. That's probably a lot harder for some people to grasp. But it's a fact. And as far as the Brahmins, well, especially here, Brahmin Vaishnava is not mentioned here, but other else places elsewhere, the Brahmin who's become a Vaishnava is so important to society. Being afraid that Hiranyakashipu would occupy the post of Brahma, all the demigods were extremely disturbed. Hiranyakashipu was a well-known demon, and the demigods knew if the demons and rakshasas were to occupy the supreme post, Brahminical culture and protection of cows would come to an end. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, though the original proprietor of everything is Lord Krishna, Bhaktaram Yagatapasam, Sarvaloka Maheshwaram. The Lord therefore knows particularly well how to develop the material condition of the living entities within this material world. In every universe, there is one Brahma engaged on behalf of Lord Krishna, as confirmed in Srimad Bhagavatam, Tene Brahma Kritaya Adikavaye. The principal creator of each Brahmanda, that's the universe, is Lord Brahma, who imparts Vedic knowledge to his disciples and sons. 
on every planet, the king or supreme controller must be a representative of Brahma. Therefore, if a Rakshasa or a demon were situated in Brahma's post, then the entire arrangement of the universe, especially the protection of the Brahminical culture and cows, would be ruined. All the demigods anticipated this danger, and therefore they went to request Lord Brahma to take immediate steps to thwart Hiranyakashipu's plan. So, yeah, um, <laughs> we were a bit of a ways away from our, most countries, at least, our rulers being, you know, Pukka Brahmins. <laughs> and uh, in the last paragraph, the word um, brutyai means for increasing opulence. And the words shreyase refers to ultimately returning home back to God. There's that word shreyas, long term. In spiritual advancement, one's material position improves at the same time that the path of liberation becomes clear and one is freed from material bondage. If one is situated in an opulent position in spiritual advancement, his opulence never decreases. We talked about that earlier. There's no loss. Therefore, such a spiritual benediction is called bhuti or vibhuti. Krishna confirms this in Bhagavad Gita, yad yad vibhuti matsadvam, mamate jomsa sambhavam. If a devotee advances in spiritual consciousness and thus becomes materially opulent also, his position is a special gift from the Lord. Such opulence is never to be considered material. Um, so this is interesting here because sometimes we often quote, um, um, what's that word? Yes, yaham managrinami harishetat danam shrai, this verse that says, when Krishna is very kind, he takes away everything from a devotee. Um, but here, Prabhupada is saying often a devotee is both materially opulent and spiritually opulent. So it just depends on how Krishna wants to treat his devotee. If we're becoming very, very proud of something, Krishna may do something to help us um, overcome that pride. And if he's showing, and if the devotee is showing that he's using everything so nicely in Krishna's service, Krishna may give him so much opulence to use that in Krishna's service. That's a, that's between the devotee and Krishna. Um, but sometimes we scare people away when we always quote Yasyahamanagrinami because that's a well-known shloka for devotees from the 11th canto uh, where it says Krishna takes things away. But here and in other places, Krishna also, Prabhupada also writes that Krishna may give the devotee all opulences. So it's really, there's, there's no set rule. It's really... Krishna reciprocating with his devotee according to how he ultimately wishes to do so. Okay, any thoughts or comments, questions on this verse? I think it's amazing how Krishna can be so individual with each person. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that nice? Thank you. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, yes, yes Prabhu. In this uh, verse, one of the important aspects that's coming about is why cows, and it did mention like why cows, right? right. I was uh, hearing one of the lectures from Srila Prabhupada where he was saying that uh, sometimes, you know, some learned persons, they raise these kind of questions like why get uh, for Tulsi plant? Right, why not plant eggplant? Havoc. <laughs> yes, yeah. they do not know the spiritual potency when, you know, the blessings one gets from serving Tulsi. Yeah. And also the medicinal qualities of tulsi. Mm, yeah, and and of cows. Yeah, 
Yes. And similarly, yeah. ours are very important. Brahminas are the spiritual masters for the human society to help us, you know, to re- really meet the true purpose of human society. Mm-hmm. So we can go back home. And similarly, cows are very important, not just as mothers that they provide the milk, which is the miracle food, but also the bull is considered father because that's used for farming. And cows, all that we get from cows, even the cow dung and urine is the five kind of punch dravya that is made for participation and sacrifice comes from cows, Mm -hmm. all five ingredients. So yes, knowledge is there, but to execute it out, that realization can only come when we take care of cows Mm -hmm. and use whatever we get in this material world in harmony to meet the needs for our spiritual growth. Materially, Lord will take care. Nice. Yes, I'm a city boy, right? So I never grew up around cows or anything. I grew up in New York. But I have had the fortune of spending time with devotees who have taken care of cows. And they can talk for hours and hours about the the uh, the importance of cows and uh, the care for them and, and everything. It's, it's quite amazing. Uh, we have one not far from us, Druva Prabhu, and his good wife in Kitanagari. And I do suggest, uh, my wife gets to go out there almost every week. She goes to pick up the milk for the deities and gets to talk to them, uh, the devotees there. And she's so impressed with how uh, their the relationship that those devotees have with the cows in Gitanagari. So what a nice way to end uh, the day talking about cows. So someone go off of mute and say one thing that you that you really like that we spoke about today. One thing that you remember, one thing that you're taking away. Okay, I'll do it if nobody else will. Go ahead, Andy. <laughs> uh, just that uh, anything can be completely different if it's in the mode of goodness or not, like austerities. Right, very good. That, w- that was very, a very good realization for me. Personally. Very nice. Yeah. Any other realizations? Hare Krishna. So again... Here we also learn in the previous chapter, chapter two, Hinakashi was giving nice advice, nice examples with a story, right? Using a story. But in realizing that he has the similar nature that is as his younger brother and fearing death, he is practicing something completely different. Ah, nice. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, one more and then we end our class. Smashanavaragya. Ah, yes. Thank you, Nandi Muki. Yes, the, the renunciation of someone who just attended a funeral. Well, let's not end on that. Let's end on uh, Hare Krishna. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, Prabhus. We will continue our study of the Bhagavatam next week. And I do actually have, a, have you noticed two devotees just joining because I have another call on this very line. So uh, we, will, we will thank you and Hare Krishna.